Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hi, everyone. Vaughn Mary, won't you join me up here? Um, last week, uh, for those of you that are visiting, we are in our One Another series. And um, last week we spoke about stirring one another up, encouraging one another to love and good deeds. And uh, Vaughn and Mary, I've known them for eight years. I knew Vaughn when he was closer to Jesus, and then he became a vegan. So um, we're still friends, you know. Uh, I have deep respect for Vaughn and Mary, mainly because they have um, led a church as marketplace ministers for how long now? Almost 15 years. Um, managing a large family, managing a growing business, and uh, responding in obedience to the call of God. So uh, Vaughn's gift to us, certainly to me, is one of boldness and encouragement. Um, And uh, they lead a church in Brea that is connected with our advanced network, which is the planting and strengthening of churches. And so I'm going to let him loose. And Mary, you're going to have the privilege of praying for your man. Yes. So I'm going to give you another three seconds. Let that soak in. Okay. There we go. Pray for him and let's go. Okay. God, we just pray for this morning. We pray um, over the lips of the pastor this morning, the preacher, the one sharing good news. We pray that it is anointed with grace, that it is um, shared in boldness, it is given in courage, and just wrapped in love, just like you, Lord. And we love you so much, God. We pray for a Holy Spirit to um, stir up the gifts inside of us, stir up the, the calling, stir up our works, stir up it all. Just stir us up, God. I pray that you awaken the church all over the world to continue to serve you and um, to love like you, to talk like you, to sound like you, to walk like you, to uh, hug like you, to really stop and slow down like you did, to minister to those who were outside of the temple. And we just pray, God, for this training this morning that we get in your presence. We love you, and we need you so bad in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, just a guess an extra nugget right off the bat. Um, it's always special to have your spouse pray for you. So not only in public like this, but just an encouragement to lay hands on each other and pray for each other, you know, to hear your wife praying for you or for a wife to hear your husband praying for you is uh, it's pretty special. So be encouraged. Um, yeah, I also want to turn this in so I can get that heavy swag bag. Don't let me, don't let me leave without doing that. I will not pass up a blessing And then, uh, like Nick said, we're good friends. I appreciate them. When, he, when we found out that we went vegan, we were in Nashville, I think, at a conference. And like a good friend, he took us to a place called, like, Pork Bellies, Whole Pig, Meat, Meat, Meat. So, appreciate you. So, I'm happy to be here. Um, I've, I've always wanted to be invited into 
Nathan Karn's church family. I think they're two of the funniest and coolest people, uh, really, really special. I don't usually do this, but um, not that I'm out preaching all the time, but before coming here, I listened to the last couple of weeks' sermons, uh, try to get a sense of where you guys are as a church and what's been going on here. And uh, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm like, man, is there any way out of this? <laughs> this dude is killing it. You guys are so blessed here. Uh, awesome man of God, awesome pastor. Uh, he uh, teaches and preaches so patiently. Um, the way that he was encouraging you guys, I literally felt my heart rate like slow down. I'm, I, I run hot. And, <laughs> and I felt myself just like slowing down and listening and, and uh, uh, all joking aside, just feeling the peace of God as he was ministering. And I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder what it'd be like uh, to be in that kind of atmosphere week after week, week after week. So I hope you guys um, are aware of, of what you got here. So after that, and when I realized I couldn't get out of it, um, I drank a bunch of coffee and I said, Vaughn, you better hear from God or this is going to go south real quick. So that's what I've been trying to do. Um, I want to kind of warn you this morning that this is going to be a little bit different for me. I'm going to do a little bit more sharing and just talking with you guys than, than how I would normally preach. Um, we sang a song this morning, uh, and I asked one of the worship leaders, I think it's called, Call Me Higher, right? So if we can quickly, some of the lyrics that just messed me up, um, says, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down. And then finally, but you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. So it really messed me up because when you speak somewhere else, you kind of want to put your best foot forward. You kind of want to do what you're comfortable with. But it's actually the last thing that I'm going to do today. Um, but I'm hoping that you guys will go on this journey with me, right? Be a little bit uncomfortable today. Do things maybe in a way that we don't typically do them. But trust that it's God trying to call us deeper into what he has for us. So on that note... Um, I'm infatuated with the Word of God. I like to share way more scripture than I like to share anything about myself. Um, but Pastor Nick asked me to share a little bit of our story. And I think he also encouraged me to share my heart for evangelism. But he also gave me the freedom to share whatever the Lord put on my heart, right? So that's what we do as pastors. We say, I want you to do this, but <laughs> you can also do whatever the Lord leads you to do. So I knew what he meant was do this. So I wrestled with that all week because initially I didn't want to talk about evangelism. I don't think that I'm the most qualified person to talk about evangelism. And I'm also trying to figure out how I have kind of become the evangelism guy around these parts. So all week I'm praying, I'm taking notes, uh, and the message is just struggling to take form. And uh, I got all these other ideas that I want to share, and I'm asking God to give me the message that he has for Mercy Commons in this season on this particular Sunday. So on Friday night, I went to my favorite coffee shop, focused on organizing all these thoughts and, and prayers, and I thought about the last week for me, uh, just this last week, week and a half, um, what's been going on, and God just started rallying all these things off to me. So last Sunday after church, we do what's called Sidewalk Sanctuary in our church. So we had our Sidewalk Sanctuary outing. We go somewhere in Brea, um, and we either outreach in a shopping center, or we'll go door to door in neighborhoods knocking on doors, 
um, inviting people to church, offering prayer, or we, we, um, we have a grill, we'll go to some park or to a homeless encampment, and we'll just start cooking food and feeding people. Um, so last Sunday was that Sunday for us. Um, and while we were out, we split into two groups, and one group knocked on a bunch of doors, and several people allowed them to talk and pray for one another and lay hands, which was, which was really, really cool. And then the group that I was in, which doesn't happen all the time, but we met several people, and we were able to exchange phone numbers and make plans to, to get to know each other better and, and come to, uh, possibly come to church services. Then on Tuesday, the other elder in our church, his name is Pastor Gary, um, he came out to meet me. We went uh, to the coffee shop that I like again, and, and we we're working on his message. He's got to preach in our church today, so he was like, let's do this together. So as we were doing that, on the way there, we were wrestling with some of the things going on in society when it comes to um, LGBTQ and some of those challenges and what's going on as these kids are starting school again um, right now. And when we pull up to the coffee shop, there are several people who are involved in that kind of lifestyle. And we just felt like God was trying to encourage us to prepare ourselves and how to love and how to reach and, and do some of those things. And then at the same time, he's got some pretty serious career stuff going on. Um, without getting into more details, we said we should probably just stop and pray. So we're sitting in the coffee shop and we just start praying. It was one of those times where it wasn't a quick one. We just had a lot to pray for and a lot on our hearts. So we're going for it. And, you know, two, four, five minutes later, whatever it is, we stop. And this gentleman's sitting next to us and he says, I'm sorry for eavesdropping, but I just got to tell you, you guys are awesome. And that always feels good, right? He says, You guys are awesome. And he says, the way you guys are talking, and I can hear your critical thinking, because we were talking about what are the most effective ways to bring about change. How should we look at this job, these different jobs that he has offers for, and how do we make a decision that honors God, and all this kind of stuff. So he's engaged. Next you know, we're talking to him for about 30 minutes, and then we're like, hey, can we pray for you? And nothing he said in the conversation led us to believe that he was a believer, but we're like, look, we're already here. Let's go hard. So he says yes, and we start praying for him um, and his family and his kids, his business. He's a, he's a CEO of a biopharmaceutical, not biopharmaceutical, nanotech something uh, in Irvine. The dude is like super genius, studied at Cambridge or whatever it was, and we're just praying for him, and same thing happened. He's like, let's exchange numbers. We've actually been wanting to have faith, and I want to lead my family that way. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and we don't have any solid faith. So we exchange numbers, and we... Uh, we finish what we're doing, and he goes on. Then here's the last straw that uh, broke the camel's back. Yesterday morning, I woke up, and I, I committed the sin of opening Facebook, and it hit me, hit me with this memory from nine years ago today, a post that I made. It says, to all my unsaved friends and family who don't know Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus himself is praying for you. Jesus prays for believers. Jesus prays for believers, and he says in John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me. I put this may not mean much to you now, but one day it will mean everything to you. So then uh, I decided I should stop tempting God and just preach on evangelism. <laughs> so that's what I have for you this morning. Bit of a side note, but an important one. So all those non-believer stories and all these things about others and, and evangelism, also in this last week and a half or so, I met and was encouraged by several Christians. 
met a young lady reading her Bible in the coffee shop one of those days. She said she goes to a large church in the Inland Empire. She teaches preschoolers, and we encourage each other. Two other ladies were preparing for a Bible study, and Pastor Gary and I asked them um, what church told us. She said, what church do you guys go to? We say, we're actually, we're in Chino. We said, we go to a church in Brea called The Way. She's like, I know you guys. Don't you go to City Hall Park? Can you do an outside evangelism event? I said, yeah, yeah, that's us. And then she said, that's great. And I, I'm thinking to myself, well, why haven't you visited? <laughs> You've seen us out there, and you're going to come all the way out here to this mega church. She's only been there for a year. I never take people from other churches, right? But still, you saw us before that, girl. Come on. <laughs> so finally, one of my favorite encounters, um, last week on Thursday, I was in Brea at Paris Baguette, because that's where all real men go for coffee. Um, and I was watching this gentleman, um, and he was with another brother and their kids. There was, there was a bunch of them, and, and he gets up, and, um, uh, and I just kind of ran up on him, and I said, hey, Mr. Nethers, and he, like, he stepped back, like, who are you? And I said, how are you doing? Where are you serving? What's going on with God in your life? And how's your kids? And how's youth soccer? And all this kind of stuff, and he was, like, taken aback. I was hoping to get him to say something like out of character and super unspiritual, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, uh, but he really encouraged me. He's like, I'm doing fine. I'm at Mercy Commons, and God is good, and all these things. And I didn't tell him I was going to be here, but uh, it was encouraging. Uh, all that to say, God is just moving. God is doing things. That's the last week or week and a half of what's been going on in my life, outside of the church and just in this particular area that gives me some confidence that just kind of supposed to be here and supposed to be sharing with you guys this morning. So I want to backtrack, like I said, Nick asked me to share a little bit about our story, and hopefully that'll give some context to what I'm going to share from you from the Word this morning. I love movies, so I want to try to make it quick. If you like movies too, this is going to be one of those scenes where like they rewind the screen and they take you to the beginning and they just give you the details that you need to understand the rest of the movie. That's what I'm going to try to do with our story for a few minutes. So I was 22. At that time, I was on the verge of going to the NFL. And instead, I dropped out of college, um, didn't get drafted, got to play in another uh, professional league, got myself kicked off of that team. At that point, I had a 10-year daily addiction to getting high, smoking weed every day from the time I was in high school. I had about a five-year college, um, every weekend, alcohol problem that was spiraling out of control. Um, I went from being the guy to um, being a dropout, being kicked off of these teams, um, back at home at my mama's house, getting uh, wasted every day of the week, and I found myself with a knife in my hand and about to commit suicide. I remember thinking, how did this happen to me? <laughs> this happens to others, not to me. My family tried to admit me into a hospital, and I don't know if either they wouldn't take me or I wouldn't go, but it just didn't work out. They tried to get me admitted. And around that time, I reached out to, I'm 22 years old, I reached out to who was my first girlfriend. We were 10 years old, so whatever that means at 10 years old. <laughs> but I was fully in love, just so you know. God, God worked it out. So I reached out to her, and I'm like, hey, can we hang out? Nobody else wanted to be around me. Nobody wanted to spend any time with me. And she says, yes, but you got to go to church. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's either you and church or me and killing myself, so I'm going with you. 
And I had no intention on talking to Jesus, knowing about Jesus. Remember, I'm fully unsaved, so you know where my heart was. You know where my mind was. I'll leave it at that. And we start hanging out and going to church. For six months, nothing's happening uh, as far as God is concerned, but things are going exactly according to the plan that I had. So the craziest thing happened, though. I ended up meeting Jesus, fully unplanned. So at that time, I was getting more and more angry, more and more paranoid. Um, I had gone to a preseason Lakers game on October 22nd, 2004. And in this season, when I'm trying to figure out this, this God situation and I'm being awakened to things, I'm at this game and I'm, I'm anxious, I'm angry, I'm, I'm paranoid. Literally, I think people are talking about me in the stands as if I'm not important. And halftime, before halftime, I just can't take it. I stand up and I go running out of Staples Center. And if you bleed purple and gold like I do, you never leave a game, you never run out. It's like I wanted to be there, but I couldn't take it. I go into the parking lot and I said, God, if you're real, you got to be real for me. And if you are, I'll never turn back. Lightning didn't flash. He didn't show up in the parking lot of Staples Center and said, you are my son. (laughs) So what did happen, though, is from the parking lot, I grab my phone and I call my mom, I call my dad, I call my sister, I call my brother, who's in the game, (laughs) all right, and then I call Mary, and the same thing I said to all of them, hey, it's me, I want to tell you that I'm sorry for the way that I've lived and the things that I've done to you, I hope that you can forgive me, I forgive you for everything that you've ever done to me, I'm starting my life over right now, and I believe that God is going to do something better for us, and then I hung up on all of them. (laughs) There's no time for response. So I hung up on all of them. Um, So at that point, if there was any doubt about me going crazy, I removed all doubt. They all think I'm crazy and they should have definitely checked me into this hospital. The only one to call me back was Mary. She calls me back right away. I'm still in the parking lot and I went full crazy on her. I acted as if everything was okay. Hey, what's up, Mary? How you doing? (laughs) Everything's fine. Where are you at? Oh, I'm outside of the game and I'm just like, I'm really wanting to start over. And my mind is just in this place. So that was Friday, October 22nd, 2004. On Sunday, October 24th, 2004, we go to church um, like normal. I don't feel any different. Nothing has really changed. I know I've just said these things. And after church, I was in real estate at the time, partnered with my brother. We leave out of church, and I go and I sell my first house. So I leave church. We go. We give the people the keys. They walk in. Mary's with me. And she's always telling me about this other pastor in La Habra. Remember, I'm barely, not even, I'm barely saved. So she keeps talking about this man. I'm like, I want to fight him. (laughs) Like, why are you talking about this man all the time? Like, don't you recognize what's going on here? So full anger, no spirituality. I'm like, well, where's the church? And we drive after giving these people their keys to this church in La Habra. And I don't know what happened. All I know is church is over. I'm on the altar. I'm crying like I haven't cried. And I can't remember ever. There's boogers and snot everywhere. And I remember after that, walking out of that church, and I could physically feel the weight of sin and the burdens that I was carrying my whole life lifted off of me. Not a mental idea or thought or reflecting back now on what God was doing. I'm talking about that day, I felt it come off of me. So I'm laughing, me and her, me and Mary, after that, we go to IHOP because I believe that that's the place that you should go when you're first born again. 
So we're in La Habra. We go to this IHOP in La Habra. And I'm laughing uncontrollably. And she's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, I can't believe he's real. I can't believe it. I had an idea. I have a concept. I see what Christians do. I've been sitting in these church services for six months, but I didn't know he was real. It turns out he's real. And I felt it. I like to say that I gave my life to Jesus on Friday, and then three days later, he raised me from the dead and confirmed my salvation on Sunday. So now it's Monday. I told you I gave those people their keys on Sunday afternoon before getting saved. Monday rolls around, and you know what I get? A check for $10,000 from those keys that I gave those people. Now the rubber's meeting the road. <laughs> I know Jesus now. I'm saved now. I'm a member of the family of God. And I'm telling you, it was like from day one, Jesus was saying to me, is it going to be God or mammon? Are you going to live as a Christian or are you going to live like you were before where it's about you? Get this check for 10000 My brother and I are partners. I give him $5,000. i have got 5000 but God deserves his tenth. I don't even know anything about God yet, but I know that I ain't supposed to keep all this. <laughs> so I give my brother the 5000 I've got 5000 and then I did what I believe I was supposed to do. I gave the 1000 I gave a tenth, and we tithed on day one. And I fully believe that that was part of this acceleration and all the things that God has done in my life, just because it's like, let's just do it right from day one. No matter how hard it is, do what we're supposed to do, do what we've been called to do. It really changed everything. The next six months were the hardest of my life, by far. God, I feel like this is what he did. He showed me exactly who I was, how I got there, how ugly it is, how hurtful it is, and how deep it runs. And it was painful to see myself as I really was. Depressing, um, frustrating, just consuming to the point where I said, this can't be Christianity. This can't be what this is supposed to be like. Um, everything that I had done and what he actually had saved me from. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to know what you've been saved from. Yeah. That season was a crazy one for, for me in my life. Um, I had a friend that I played football with. We were on the same team. That next year when I was gone and dropped out, he got drafted to the NFL, went and played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he calls me. Hey, I'm playing against the San Diego Chargers. I got tickets for you. I have tickets for all of our friends. You guys meet me down in San Diego. I'm like, yeah, I've been saved for six months. I'm ready to get back out there. <laughs> so we go down early on Saturday, um, and we're in San Diego, and my old college buddies are going out. And I'm like, I'm not going to drink, which I didn't. But the same thing happened to me when I was at the Laker game. I started getting anxious. I started getting angry. I started flipping out and like kind of attacking them in this club they were in, so I leave. Left them at like maybe 11 o'clock, went back to the hotel, flipped out, called Mary. We're not married yet, so she is home with her parents. It's one o'clock in the morning, I say, you gotta come get me. She's in Whittier. <laughs> I'm in San Diego. You gotta come get me, you gotta come now. She sneaks out of her parents' house. Great Christian, that's real love, girl. Naomi, that's my daughter, don't listen to any of this. <laughs> hey. Where is the youth group? Get... <laughs> I just got to keep it real, though. So 
She drives down there, 3 o'clock in the morning, picks me up. I don't even tell them I'm leaving. They're all sleeping and, and, and drunk, getting ready for Sunday the next day. I just leave, get in the car, don't go to the game, don't care about the tickets, don't even talk to them for probably about six months. They just, I just disappeared off the face of the planet for them. I think there's something to this season where you just have to be with God, right? You just have to, like, be away from, from everything. But it was just one of those things. Right? I was in that kind of season. I screamed a lot. I yelled a lot. I, I threw couches. Um, it was like an upheaval, spiritual warfare like I've never heard of and never seen, but I fully experienced it. Every time I would go to service, I would get so angry because the pastor was preaching my life. And the only way he could do that is Mary was telling him everything. <laughs> So imagine me in service. This is what every Sunday looked like. I'd be staring at the, pre- the pastor like, wait till you come down. And then I'd look at Mary like, oh, you're going to get it too. Because <laughs> I couldn't believe it. There's no way this could be happening unless somebody is putting my business out there. But I wouldn't quit. I was determined to beat them. <laughs> I was determined to show them that they couldn't make me turn back, couldn't make me quit. And it was happening everywhere. I got saved into a fellowship where we had Sunday service, Wednesday service, men's discipleship, men's breakfast. I was in service at least three times a week, angry. <laughs> but the reality is I was just ashamed for so long. Ashamed. I went from being the life of the party and super confident, like I said, being that guy, to I couldn't even stand the, the sound of my own voice because there was no integrity in it. I knew that everything that I had built was false. There was nothing I could say that had any value to anyone. Um, so it's interesting when, when I became a pastor and the way that people look at me now, and I speak a lot, obviously, they, they look at me and they think that it's just a gift that you have or you were made that way. And I, I wish people could see me back then where I was a shadow, a shell of a man. So in that first six months... I read through the whole Bible. I was in love with it. When I did start talking again, all I wanted to talk about was the Word of God because that was the only thing I could trust. That was the only thing that had actual power, had actual value, um, and that could do something. It was worth saying. Um, So that's the story. Salvation, October 2004. Mary and I got married. That was October of 2004. We got married in May of 2006, so that's a year and a half later. She was crazy. She took a crazy leap of faith. Again, Naomi, it will never happen. (laughs) A year and a half after that, in January of 2008, we had our first child, which is Nate, my my 14-year-old. And then three months after that, in April of 2008, we planted a church. You're probably thinking, who let you do that? (laughs) Did they not know the story? So I had three and a half years of salvation under my belt, two years of marriage, three months of parenting, so I was super qualified to be a pastor. (laughs) I'll say these last two things, and then we'll pray, and then we'll let God's word lead us for the rest of the time together. Um, Number one, Mary and I learned how to be married, um, how to raise kids, and really how to actually grow up while being committed to God and leading his people, and I'm eternally grateful that serving others was weaved into our marriage and our family and our identity in a way that can't be undone. It's not what we do, it's literally who we are. We weren't solid and strong and mature and, and stable and then 
came into ministry, we were becoming those things while doing ministry. So in many ways, it's weaved in a way that we can't, we can't just undo it. We just, we just can't. But I'm grateful for that. Um, it's shaped us in a, in a unique way, I think. Second thing is that I never wanted to be a pastor. I was committed to my pastor. I was committed to my church. Um, in 2007, um, all of my Bible reading led me to a place where I couldn't sleep because all I could think about is all those old friends and all my old family that didn't know Jesus. Those same ones that I walked out on in San Diego, the same ones that I got involved in things that they should have never gotten involved in and they were still involved in, I felt responsible. And I'm reading the scriptures, like, I gotta do something. So I asked my pastor, I said, can I start a Bible study in our house? We had just been married. And I said, but I don't want any people from the church coming. He's like, what do you mean, sinner? I said, I only want people who are, are not saved and, and don't go to church. And he asked me why, and I explained it to him, and then he released me to do that. Within about three or four months, we had 20 people in our living room having Bible study that had no idea about Jesus and no idea about church. And what we would do is Mary would cook them dinner because, again, we'd been married for six months, so she was super prepared to feed all those people and cook for them. <laughs> and then they'd come, and I'd ask them, what do you guys want to know about? And they say angels, or they say this. And then for two weeks, I'd study like crazy. They'd come back over, we'd feed them, and I'd teach them as if I really knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and we loved it. So at that point, my pastor kicked me out of the church. He said, look, you got to start a church. There's no reason for, for us to be in this small church with both of us here when you've got enough people to start something and let God use that. Um, and I didn't want to do it. Even when we started meeting, when we finally agreed to it, we met on Thursday nights and Saturday nights, so we would still go on Wednesday night and Sunday to our regular church. We were crazy. But I told my pastor at that time, I said, listen, we, we will do this, and, and I love the word, I love teaching, but I told him, here's the reason why. If God could use us to see one couple's lives change the way that our life has been changed, then it's worth the rest of our lives. Not a congregation, not a multitude of people, not notoriety, not any of those things. Just one couple. I know what happened to me. And if I can be used by God for that to happen to one other person, then it is literally worth the rest of our lives. I think that's all you need is a heart for the lost and a willingness to give everything to Jesus. Those are the essentials. You have a heart for the lost and a willingness to give everything to Jesus, the possibilities are endless. If you do that, God will bring people. God will bring um, movements like Advance. Like I said, the way we got planted, I would never advise that. And there was a lot of calamity associated with it over the years. We saw a lot of people who didn't make it to where we have so far. Um, however, we came into Advance saying, how do we go forward and do better? How do we grow and get maturity in certain ways? And now we have new friends, we have new family, and here I am talking to all you wonderful people. In 2008, last couple things, I went back to finish that college degree that I dropped out. I had one year left. It took three years. 2011, I graduated. It's terrible, because you have two degrees. In 2018, I started working on my master's, my seminary training. 
It's been four years, and in a week or so here, I start my last semester to finish that up. Um, I've learned a lot. Uh, when I went back to college as a Christian who believes in Jesus, and I just saw this world the way that it really is, um, I learned a lot. Um, now that I've been in seminary training, I hope that it's going to make me a better pastor, a better servant of God in my relationship with Jesus, which I believe it is. However, I want to say that uh, I am a practitioner. I know I might look young, but like we said, I've been pastoring for almost 15 years. I'm a black pastor in Orange County. I led through the first black presidency in American history. I led through the following presidency that proved to be the most divisive time in America for a whole generation of people. Did I mention I pastor in Orange County? <laughs> I've led through a pandemic. I'm currently leading as church leaders are falling left and right and denouncing their faith. And still, I think one of the most important things we can do is get out of our churches, share the gospel, and stand as salt and light in a world for all to taste and see. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my story, but I know it's just one of many in this room. Um, stories of you bringing change and transformation and miracles and hope, upheavals and restoration, reconciliation. Um, we're so grateful. This morning, as we come before you, we ask that you would continue to open our hearts, continue to open our minds. Our desire is that we would go out into this world and see the stories of so many others that still need to be written, that you might use us to help them to begin that journey with you of opening themselves up, finding hope, finding love, finding forgiveness, being reconciled to the Father, Lord. You could do this on your own but you choose to partner with us. You're willing for it to be harder and take longer and to be messy because you want us to be involved in what you're doing. Open our eyes to see that you'd be able to have your way, Lord God. We need you now more than ever. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here it is. Let's start with the main reasons people give for not being more involved in evangelism and reaching the lost. Number one, I don't know enough. Actually, most of the people you encounter, even though they think they know something, really don't know anything about the truth of the gospel or the person of Jesus or the will of God. Our excuse that we don't know enough is really not valid. They're not going to ask you to explain the incarnation. They're not going to ask you to, to tell them everything about revelation. What you do know, what you have experienced is enough. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. At the same time where you know enough already, God has called us to be students of the word, to know more. If you have the excuse that I don't know enough, and then you still have that excuse a year later, what's the problem? Let's learn some things. Let's prepare ourselves to share some of those things. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read the scriptures, what happens to me a lot of the times is I'll be reading, and then all of a sudden I'll start having imaginary conversations with imaginary people that are asking about what does that mean, and then I realize, man, I really wish somebody was asking these questions, because there's so many answers. We have to study. We have to prepare. But we also have to realize that if you've met Jesus, you have something. 
that the world needs. Number two, I'm not extroverted. I get that if you're introverted. Fine, right? But I still think the issue here is putting ourselves in the center of the conversation when Jesus should be in the center of the conversation. I don't evangelize or I don't reach out. I don't talk to people because I'm not extroverted. Why are you in the center of the conversation? Jesus should be in the center of the conversation. And then the reality of the lost spending eternity in hell when we have the words of life should overcome our natural inclinations, right? Let's get ourselves out of the center. Let's put Jesus in the center. And then the next step should be these people are going to go to hell for eternity and I have the actual answers to prevent that from happening. And then you can think about your natural inclinations of being introverted. Jeremiah 20, verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. The reality is that we should be in the word. It should be doing something inside of us to the point where even if we didn't want to talk, even if we didn't want to share, we were introverted and we were afraid, right? We were embarrassed. We just can't help but share because it's too good. Is it that good for you? As a pastor, there's a lot of times where I've been angry, I've been hurt, I've been disappointed, I've been abandoned, I've been talked about. I wanted to throw in the towel. But within a week, I find myself back in the church, loving people, teaching people, and trying to help people. Why? Because I'm not at the center of the story. My experience and my emotions are not the primary thing that God is concerned with in the church. Number three. So... Um, I'm not extroverted, I don't know enough, and then finally number three, it's usually some variation of, I think my life preaches a louder message than anything I could say. The way I live is preaching the gospel. No, actually, preaching preaches the loudest message. <laughs> All right? Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. I know there's probably some really smart folks in this room this morning. So the Greek words for hear and preach are akouo and keruso. And they cannot also be translated as live an exemplary Christian life in silence. <laughs> that's not what they mean. There's no translation that's going to say that. What they mean is somebody has to hear, which means somebody has to preach. You can't just live a life. That's part of it. But you actually have to say something. People will be saved when they hear the good news. And we have it. Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus lived a perfectly, a life that revealed God perfectly. And what did he do? He couldn't stop talking about salvation and hope and love and, how, and the kingdom and how to enter into it. So if all it took was living an exemplary life, he would be the one that didn't have to say anything. But that's not the reality. So I think we should stop saying that. If Jesus had to preach it, I would think that we have to as well. So the title of the message is The Trellis and the Vine of Evangelism. It doesn't mean I'm just starting now. It just means I want to give you a title. 
That's a, that's a pastor trick. See, I told you we'd just go together this morning. Come on. The trellis and the vine of evangelism. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The trellis and the vine of evangelism is about our plans coming together with the Lord's power. Make sense? We have a plan. We should have a plan. Right? But the Lord has to direct our steps, and it's his power that's going to be actually accomplishing something. So back to movies. In the area of evangelism, there's two movie characters living within me. The first, I have a picture of him. Is this guy. So the movie The Dark Knight, Batman, right? This is the Joker after Harvey Dent gets all messed up and he's in the hospital. The Joker comes into the hospital and Harvey Dent's upset and he says, I can't believe you planned this and you blew me up and you were going to kill my girl and all this stuff. And the Joker says, do I look like somebody who has a plan? I just do things. There is no plan. I like chaos and craziness, so I just see what happens. When we do our sidewalk sanctuary, it's been crazy fruitful, it's been crazy costly. We've met people in front of grocery stores that end up getting saved, getting premarital counseling, get married, and then take off and serve Jesus. We've seen all kinds of things happen. I've also had one time where I would tell you that you need some wisdom. Before I got sent out, I was driving, I saw these young people. I said, hey, you guys need Jesus, you want to come with me? I got them in my car, took them to our church. We had a whole service. Then I said, hey, I'm going to take them home. Mary, you go with our pastors, he'll drive you home. On the freeway back, these kids start chanting, let's start a crisis, let's start a crisis. They're in my back seat. I'm like, there ain't going to be no crisis up in here. I pulled over. I called my pastor. I'm like, oh, yeah, didn't you say you're going to meet me at the gas station? He's like, what are you talking about? He said, meet me at the gas station. I pulled over and I said, you guys got to get out. Here's some money, get some food. There's some wisdom. Eventually, <laughs> thank God for his grace. But it didn't cause me to stop. A few weeks ago, our last sidewalk sanctuary, we were in a neighborhood, knocked on a door, and the door opens, and a lady is in tears like crazy. And she can't even speak. And another lady comes running around, and she's in tears. And we're like, what happened? And they're young, probably in their 30s, and her husband was killed two days before on Friday. So she tells us, this is my sister, my brother-in-law, so her husband was killed on Friday. And they couldn't tell us what happened or how it happened, but you could tell that it was just unexpected. Uh, and it's right here in Brea, in a community in Brea. And the person that knocked on the door was one of our youth, a 16-year-old young lady. She starts praying over this, these women. And she's praying, she's going hard, she's asking God to meet their needs and all these things. And we're all just standing there and we're praying and we're thinking to ourselves, like, there was not really a plan. We just go into a neighborhood, we knock on a door, and we see what God does. And then you realize that God wanted us to be there. These people needed us to be there. And we're grateful that we were there. So here's the big plan. Every month, we just put it on the calendar and we go somewhere. And we see what God does. It's full joker mode. <laughs> if God doesn't show up, then it doesn't matter anyway, so let's just get out there and see what he does. Let me tell you about the other character living in me. I think I got a picture. Stenzel. They call me Bonzel at our church. 
So Denzel, this movie is the equalizer. And this dude has a plan for everything. Down to the, the most minutest detail, he has a plan on how things are going to work out. In the movie, what happens is, if there's going to be an action scene, there's going to be a fight, the, the screen stops, and then all of a sudden you're inside of Denzel, and you're looking through his eyes, and he walks you through what he's about to do. I'm going to pick this up and hit that guy, and I'm going to do this. And he walks you through the whole thing in his eyes, and then you see his watch, and he says, that should take about 18 seconds. And then it happens, and everything's done, and then he says, 20 seconds? And he's mad because it didn't go to plan. That's the other guy <laughs> in me when it comes to the things that are going on in our church and in Sidewalk Sanctuary in particular. We've learned a lot, so we have a lot of plans. We have a lot of vision for what we're doing. We realize that if you don't actually schedule and promote evangelism, almost no one will do it. If you don't schedule it, if it's not on the calendar, if you don't promote it, if you don't announce it, you don't actually do that, most people are not going to do it. Most churches have some type of conference. We decided to make ours an outdoor conference. I told you about the lady that saw us but never came, but at least we were out there, right? We realized that reaching the lost and being in uncomfortable situations does more for the members of our church than almost anything else we do. We do a lot, just like you guys do a lot. There's a lot of events. There's all this stuff going on. There's Bible studies. There's life groups. But putting people in front of somebody's door and knocking and saying, let's see what God does in this uncomfortable situation, it causes more growth in our people than anything else we do. It all helps. But, man, there's something about this type of ministry. So we plan for it. We also realize that our young people are learning from a young age that this should be part of their walk. So when they get to our age, we don't have to convince them like I'm trying to convince you now. Right? This young lady that went to a door, knows that God sent her, she can't turn around and say, where's my pastor, where's my dad? She has to pray right now for this person. She's not going to have an issue when she's 35 saying, I got to get out into the world and do something to help people. Because from a young age, it's being ingrained in her. You see? We've also learned that people actually want Christians to put our efforts where our posts are. We post like crazy about God and what he's doing and how he did it and how he's changed and transformed, but then they never actually see us out there doing those things. When we go to doors, when we go to shopping centers, even if people don't really want what we want to give them, what I do see in their eyes, it's almost like you can see their thoughts. They're saying, this is what I expect from you people. If you really think you have the keys to the kingdom and salvation, then you should be out here telling us. I don't want it, but at least you're doing what I think you should be doing. Same thing happens with other Christians. We meet a lot of other Christians out there. And you know what the typical response is when we outreach and we meet a Christian? Oh, I don't need your flyer. I go to a church already. And then I say, well, hey, that's awesome. Would you mind keeping it and maybe praying for us? Like we're brothers and sisters. Something's missing, guys. Something is not, there's a disconnection. And then they say, oh, yeah, that's probably what I should do. And then we get crazy and say, what if we just prayed for each other in our churches right now? And then we pray. Again, there's a plan. I believe that is inspiring them. I believe that they're going to go back to their churches and they're going to have to think, maybe we should be out here doing something. When we go out, we buy $5 Starbucks cards or we go into a grocery store and we put some money on people's groceries and then we tell them, 
our church and God doesn't want to take anything from you. It's about what God can give you. Here's $5 for Starbucks, and most of them can't receive it. I don't need it. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. It's like we learn that people have the hardest time receiving, and that's why we know it's going to be very hard for them to receive Christ. Can't even take a $5 gift card because they feel like something's not right. They feel like it does something to them that they're unable to buy their own car. It's crazy, you guys. But there's a plan. We don't have a ton of resources, like many churches, but three years ago, we bought a $20,000 van and a $5,000 trailer, and we put Sidewalk Sanctuary on it, because I was trying to tell our church, we are doubling down on outreach and evangelism. We don't have a building, but we will be out there telling people about Jesus. So we're in full equalizer mode. We have more trellis than we know what to do with. Plans like crazy. So our sidewalk sanctuary equalizer side is the trellis where we plan and we execute. Our sidewalk sanctuary joker sides or those joker efforts are the vine where we say, here we are. So let's see what God does. Let's knock on this door. Let's go to this shopping center and see what God might do. This is John 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Hope you can see what I see. Jesus as the vine. We abide in him. We branch out. We're bearing fruit because of the work that he's actually doing in us and through us. I see God the Father here as the vine dresser, keeping things in order, keeping things pruned. And in a way, he's like the trellis, superintending what the Son and what all of us are doing and how we're producing fruit, what we're accomplishing. In John, uh, excuse me, John 5, 19, says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Right? So can you see that? Like the Father, almost like the trellis, and Jesus, the Son, is like doing what the Father does and what he sees. And then we're within Christ and we're doing that. This trellis and this vine. A couple pictures that I think hopefully will help you guys see this. First picture. Trellis and this blossoming, right? The goal for how the trellis and the vine can work together is this. It's supposed to be growing. It's supposed to have this plan, but then the life and the beauty and the flowers and the blossoming is supposed to really be what we're after, right? There's a whole lot of people that don't like plans, <laughs> but they want all the blossoming. And I just don't see that as the way things work in the kingdom, I don't see that as the way evangelism really works. So I like this one. The next one. This is um, trellis that's unseen. You can barely see it here. And from where you are, you probably can't see it at all. But they're very thin wires of trellis. The only reason you know it's there is because you can see the pattern that the vine is growing in, right? This is my desire, to be honest with you, is um, trellis that's more hidden than prominent. But what I've realized is most people and way too many leaders they won't move unless they know the end from the beginning, like Jesus. 
I would love if we had churches and leaders and people who are like, man, I know I'm in the right place. I know that God is doing something here. I can see the fruit. I can see the vine. But most of us are like, nope, I want to know the beginning plan. What's going to happen a week later? How am I going to be used six months from now? What's the next step for me? And then I'll take a step and move. It's like, oh, God, please. But I like this one. I, I wish we could be there. But I'm happy with whatever kind of vine and fruit we do get. Last two. This one is all trellis and no vine. We plan the Holy Spirit right out of the thing. <laughs> That's a great plan. It's got apples on the ground, little sun hat. The picnic is ready, but there's no vine. There's no life. There's nothing blossoming. There's no spirit. It's all planned. And I have a danger here. I like plans. I like trellis. We have a PNP, policy and procedure for every ministry. Here's what we think should happen and how it should happen and what we're planning to happen. And then the last one, which is the only thing more dangerous than all vine and no trellis, is, or excuse me, all trellis and no vine, is trellis and artificial vine. This is, I don't know if you can tell, but this is those plastic ones. You see how they're all perfect, <laughs> all in unison? I think this happens to more churches than we believe. We, we manufacture what we say is evangelism. We look at the numbers of how our church is growing, and we convince ourselves that we're doing evangelism and outreach when we're really not. What makes this so dangerous is we convince ourselves that, we convince the world that, and then there's no conviction to do anything because we're pretending as if we're already doing it. Artificial vines, so dangerous. So I want to look at the way evangelism unfolded in Jesus' life for a few minutes. Jesus clearly planned. He went into the synagogues over and over and over again. He focused his work there, but... As you read through the New Testament, at some point you start to realize that some of the most significant impact of his ministry or that his ministry is having is through encounters out there in the streets, right? Almost all the stories say he went here, he went to that synagogue, he was teaching in synagogue. But if you look at all the stories that we often preach on or we find to be most powerful or these crazy impacts, they're not actually there, they're out there in the streets. All the disciples are called in the streets. They're not called in the church. Jesus meets the woman at the well, lepers approaching him in isolation. The blind are calling out to him, mothers and fathers in need for their kids. There's a woman bleeding that crawls up to him as he's walking. All this is happening out there, not in here. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. Jesus calls him down, says, I'm going to your house. Today salvation has come to this house. I think the church does an amazing job of synagogue ministry. We know how important it is. We see how Jesus focused on it. We look at Paul, and we know that he was focused on the truth of the gospel being taught accurately in every single church, and he fought for it, right? So I think the church, we do a great job of this. But I don't think we give enough thought and effort to the work that has to be done out there. If you read the scriptures, this is the work that Jesus was actually doing. It was out there. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. The work is actually out there. I think evangelism is seen as secondary and peripheral rather than primary and central. I think a lot of churches say, if we could or we could do a little better, let's, let's focus on that. It's like it's a secondary hope, not a primary must. 
This might sound a little bit crazy to you, but I'd rather see five souls destined for hell added to a group of 100 believers, even if it meant that those 100 believers didn't reach the level of perfection or conforming to the image of Christ that they could have if it wasn't for those five. Isn't that what we're doing in the church? We're trying to be perfected. We're trying to be conformed into the image of Christ. We all start somewhere, and we're all growing in this journey that we're walking with Jesus. So just, just imagine that. You may get so close to that image, and then you die, and he takes you into heaven. I would rather you only get halfway and see five more sinners that were going to hell be a part of that group. 105 of us going at whatever level is better than 100 of us going at the highest level. Does that make sense to you? I don't know that a lot of believers feel that way, though. In Matthew 8, 14, I won't read it for sake of time, but this is where Jesus talks about if your hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, all these things, right? At the end of it, he says, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one stray? If he should find it, surely I say he rejoices more over the sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I think evangelism sometimes is too costly. We think about the ninety-nine and the one isn't worth it. And that's not what Jesus says. What we expend in Sidewalk Sanctuary, anybody would tell you that that is a terrible investment and stop doing it. We spend money. We spend time. The amount of people who get saved or come into our church is very, very small. But I'm not judging it by those standards. (laughs) It's the 99 versus the 1. It's all those other things that God is doing through it. I love seeing families restored, people walking in their giftings. Seeing people going from being deaf, dumb, and blind to whole and sitting in their right mind, there's nothing like it. But I think ultimately salvation has to be more important than growth. Is that sacrilegious? Can I say that here? I think salvation has to be more important than growth. Cutting something off, not allowing something to fully mature And the the scripture says, it's better to enter into heaven that way than having both eyes and going to hell. It's better to enter into heaven not being fully conformed, but with more of us actually going. The good news is whatever God doesn't finish in this life, he's going to complete in eternity anyway, right? We're almost there. I want to say this. I know that these two things are not actually in opposition to one another. I don't want you thinking that I said we should all not grow just so more people can get saved. They're not actually in opposition to each other. What I'm trying to say is that I think the church, um, the idea of growth of the saved probably gets about 90% of the resources, and the people of God are probably giving 99% of their effort to the church, as opposed to the lost. Here's what we've got, 90% is going to go to here and to us and to building us up and to establishing us and blessing us and encouraging us and developing us, and 10% is going to be given to missions or whatever it might be. But the actual labor, the actual effort that people are doing and the different things we're doing, 99% of that, I think, is to us, maybe 1% to those. So I'm going to close with one 
last passage and a few questions that I have for you guys. This is right after Jesus talks about the vine in John, John chapter 15, those first few verses. Him, the vine, the father, the vine dresser. This is what he goes on to say. So last passage and a few questions. John 15, verse 8. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So because I made that mistake I told you about of listening to your last few messages, I know that you've been looking at some of the one another's. Last week you had stir up one another. The week before that, you had bear one another's burdens. And this passage ends with Jesus commanding us to love one another. I know that there are infinite ways that we may be able to do that, but I want to put forth a little bit of a theory here this morning that maybe the most profound way that we can love one another is to seek and to save those which are lost. This morning, again... I would say joker mode. Let's just see what God does. Took my family to McDonald's because that's a pre-service meal I think we should also have. <laughs> We're vegan, so it's just oatmeal and hash browns. <laughs> so we go to McDonald's right here in Fullerton, and I want drip coffee, so we're going to go to drip coffee. And when we pull in, I see these two young people, young adults, and they're in, they're in the parking lot at 8.30 or whatever it is. They got the music blasting, and they're dancing behind their car. Right? And I said, well, I'm preaching on evangelism today. Maybe I should go talk to them. If it works out, it would be great for the message. <laughs> Full joker mode. So, like a good husband, father, and pastor, I fully embarrassed my whole family and made them go with me. <laughs> so we, we walk out, we get our food, we go around to where they are, and I say, hey, what's your name? Um, Morgan and Fernando. Pray for them. All right? And I think the Bible talks about being uh, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. So I fully put it on you guys. I said, I'm going to share at another church. I don't know the, those people. You guys look like you're young and exciting. Would you be there for me? Would you come with me and just kind of represent when we worship, go crazy, have fun? And, and Morgan was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's go. And then Fernando was like, no. <laughs> we ain't going. You're not here, are you, Morgan, Fernando? All right. But I told them that it was a church. I told them it was called Mercy Commons. I told them that they meet at the YMCA. I'm just planting seeds. I don't know what they may or may not do, how they may or may not grow, whether they're going to come today, or they might just think back one day. Remember those crazy Christians that saw us dancing and talked to us? Like, it doesn't have to be this super-duper trellis plan. Just talk to people. So now I'm, now I'm encouraged. We go into drip, and I'm like, oh, we're going to do some more outreaching. 
So I go in a drip, I order my coffee, and the young lady's there, and I'm trying to get my notes together, and I said, you know what, I'm going to talk to her. So I ask her, hey, what's your name? Can I ask you a question? I did the same thing, blame it on you guys. I'm preaching at this other church. I don't know these people. Um, do you go to church? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you have any faith? And she says, no. As I got older, um, I got away from organized religion, and you guys know it. I'm more spiritual, she tells me, right? And so I ask her, some, some other customer comes, and I ask her, so what does that mean? I said, what is the goal of your spirituality? And she's like, I think just to be a better person and to bring some goodness into the world. Um, I said, hey, that's, that's awesome. I said, I'm actually preaching on evangelism and talking to people about Jesus, why they don't come to church and, and what we should do as Christians to try to, to lead people to find Jesus. I said, I know you can't come because you're working, but would you mind if I shared my notes with you? And she was like, yeah, I don't mind. I've never done that before, just so you know. What I'm thinking, you guys heard all, I put all my business out there today. So if you guys ever meet McKinsey at Drip over here, she knows everything about me. But the thought just came to my heart and just came to my mind like, she might read this and say, I've never heard a Christian be so open. I didn't know that Christians wanted to kill themselves. I didn't know, like, you know what I mean? She might read this and then she might think like, yeah, maybe Christians should be actually out here at Drip talking to us about their Savior and their Lord, right? I could have just left and nothing would have happened. Only something good can come from this, in my mind at least. But I'm exposed and I'm out there and it's uncomfortable but I've been training for this my whole life, and I've seen God do crazy things in weirder circumstances. So then I'm like, hey, can I airdrop it? She was like, yeah. And my airdrop wouldn't work, so then I kind of felt weird. I was like, can I get your email? <laughs> but Mackenzie was down. She's like, yeah, no problem. She gave me her whole email. I was going to tell her, hey, I ain't going to blow you up. I ain't going to email you and try to evangelize you. But since she didn't care, I might have to email her. So... <laughs> But I sent her the message, right? So here's my, here's my closing questions for you guys. Could it be that the joy and the full joy that Jesus is offering us in John 15, that second part, he says, I've done this so that you would have joy and that you would have my joy and that your joy would be full, right? Could it be that that joy is the joy of being used in some way to help a person go from death to life? Like, what's full joy? I don't know if you've ever actually seen it happen or you've been used to see that happen or to, like, God, like, to bring that into somebody's life. But watching somebody go from being dead to alive is crazy. Watching somebody put their faith in Jesus, like, there's a lot of joy in this world. But I'm, my, I'm maybe a little convinced that that's, that's the pinnacle. Like I said, I love seeing people get better and change. Oh, that marriage got restored and God moved and the kids gave. We were talking um, to the lady here, Pr Priscilla. And she was talking about her kids, and she started crying because they're, they're serving God. There's nothing like that. But watching somebody that didn't know Jesus, right? You have kids, you have grandkids, right? And they know Jesus. But imagine you're talking to one of their friends, and they give their life to Jesus. It's crazy. Maybe that's the joy. Maybe that's the full joy. Could it be that this is actually the fruit that Jesus has called and appointed all of us to go and bear? He said, I called you, I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. What is the fruit that he's appointed us to bear? When he says that whatever we ask the Father for in his name, that we're promised that we'll receive it, 
Could it be that that's supposed to be associated with the things we need to overcome our doubts and our fears and our reservations about evangelism? Are we asking him to make us more knowledgeable? Are we asking him to make us more bold? Are we asking him to make us more aware of the needs of those who are lost? My family, obviously, they live with me. On the way here, I asked them, if you could tell somebody one thing about God, one thing about Jesus, one thing about why they should become a Christian, what would you say? And both of my girls, my wife and my daughter, both started with, if, if I was more bold, <laughs> if, if I wasn't afraid, I would say this. And they've been on Sidewalk Sanctuary. I'm not pie in the sky. Every time we go, my wife looks at me like, I hate you. <laughs> but every time we come back, she always says, I'm so glad I went. But they both said, if it wasn't for that, I would do this and that and the other. And then when they were done, I told them, that's amazing. I said, but we don't have time to not be bold and not be afraid. Ask God to help you in that area because those people have to hear. Um, we shared earlier about the future, the future hope in the present. That's what Mary said. I would tell them that there's a future hope beyond this place, but I also tell them that Jesus has, is a present help now. My daughter said, um, if I was talking to my friends, they're teenagers, and they're so uncertain about life and their future and relationships and education. She said, I would tell them that God has a plan for you. And then she said, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan and God has purposes. I'm thinking, oh, my God, tell them. My nine-year-old says, I tell them about creation, that God created this world, and it was better than it is now, and that one day it's going to be better again, and that they don't have to be afraid of dying. My 14-year-old boy, he takes after me, pastor's heart. He says, I tell them to do their research and see if there's anything else that offers what Jesus offers. And I'm like, God, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Could it be that when Jesus says, love one another the way that he loved us, that the very thing he's talking about is his willingness to give everything in order that we can be reconciled to God and find eternal life? What does he mean when he says, love one another the way that I have loved you? Isn't that the thing, the primary thing? He gave everything so that we could be saved. And then he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Last questions, and I'm actually, if it's okay, I'm going to pray for those who want prayer. Will you lay down or sacrifice your Sunday afternoon to see who's behind a door in this neighborhood? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for a friend. Would you do that on a Sunday afternoon? Sacrifice that, lay that down, see who's behind the door, see who might have lost their husband, right here around the corner. Would you lay down or sacrifice your pride and deal with slam doors and rude people who ignore you or throw your flyer on the floor in a shopping center for the one person who says, I need help and I need hope. It happens all the time, guys. Throw it on the floor. I don't want to hear your message. And we can easily quit, be discouraged, be demoralized. It's hard. I ain't going to front on you guys. But then you get to that, that last person, that lady that I told you about, Cindy and Brea, who had lost her husband. It was the last street and the last door. Will you sacrifice all that pride and all that emotional trauma for the Cindy? for the person who needs hope? Or, again, are we going to wait and hope that she comes into the church? Will you lay down or sacrifice a little of your perfecting 
in order to stay broken enough to reach the broken. We can get so healed and so perfected that we can't even connect with the lost anymore. We can't even connect with the broken because we're so whole. I love the story of um, the friends that grab their, their friend. They're whole. He's broken. They ripped the roof off of the church to get him to Jesus, drops him down. And what does Jesus say? He saw their faith, the friend's faith, and healed and saved the one who was broken. Our friends are out there broken, and our job is to bring them to Jesus. And there's no greater love than this. Can we pray? Hallelujah. Let's stand. So I know that uh, you guys have an order, and I know that you guys will have communion in just a few minutes here, but if it's okay um, with Pastor Nick, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond if that's okay. Is that okay? I don't know if we have like a worshiper, guitarist, keyboardist, somebody, little trellis, little trellis, little trellis. God's good, amen? If you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, think about Jesus. First thing I want to pray for, the first group of people I want to pray for, maybe just the first individual even I want to pray for, it's just in the area of salvation. The broken don't always look broken on the outside, and the lost always, don't always look lost. What I do know is that if you are broken here this morning, you know it. If you are lost here this morning, you know it, even if nobody else does. You know exactly how bad things are for you right now. What I want you to know is that Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He's seeking you out. I told you my story that I was so broken and so lost that I had a knife in my hand and was ready to end my life. Seconds away from that and then a friend brought me to church. Maybe somebody brought you here. Maybe you came to support someone else or you've just been coming. I was in church for six months, like I said, so who knows what your story is, but if you're here and you're still broken, you can be made whole today. You're already here. All you have to do is let Jesus save you. Let him help you. Let him love you. I know it's hard to receive, but it's a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do is say, I want help. I want to be saved. I want to be healed. I want to be forgiven. I want to start over. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, you're not saved, but you want to be. You've never given your life to Jesus, but today you want to. You can start over. Would you just raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Between you and the Lord, just want to be able to pray for you. Haven't given your life to Jesus, but you want to this morning. Would you raise your hand wherever you are? Today's your day. Enter into the kingdom, family of God. Anybody, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, just two quick prayers. If you want the Spirit of God to bring an increase in the area of evangelism for you in your life, we'll make it a very quick, 
two minutes that you would just identify yourself. Maybe you want him to encourage you to get out there. Maybe you want him to encourage you to know more so that you can share more. Maybe you want your confidence to grow. Maybe you just want to be outwardly focused a little bit more in your life group, whatever it might be. But I just believe in responding. We can listen. We can grow. We can be changed. But I feel like we have to respond. I'm not asking you to make a commitment. I'm not asking you to go into a neighborhood today. What I'm asking you is if you would just be willing to take one step forward today and say, yeah, I want the Spirit to do a work in me in this area. Your pastor is here. I'm here. We won't make it this crazy long John out thing, but man, there's something about responding. That uncomfortable moment that God can do so much in. If that's you, would you kind of identify yourself or step out or just let us pray with you? I see the hand there. I see a few of you there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I just see people that are going to come to know Jesus just because of the small step you're taking right now. So powerful. I'm going to share a picture that I saw last night, and then I'm going to pray over you guys. Actually, I'm going to ask Pastor Nick to pray over you guys. It was of the Titanic and the lifeboat. <laughs> and they were half full, and they were going out, and I felt like God was saying, I fully understand why in the beginning you would just care about your salvation. You were going to die, and you found life, and that's okay. But then I felt God saying, for many of us here in this place, we've been saved long enough and we know God well enough that it's a tragedy to have a half-empty boat. God is calling you and God is calling me to not look at people as they perish and stay in our comfort, stay in our boat of safety, but to lay down our comfort, lay down our safety, that they would be able to be saved. So Lord, thank you for your precious sons and daughters here. No condemnation, just encouragement that this is what you've called us to. It's primary and not secondary, Lord. You came to seek and to save that which was lost, Lord God. You've given us your spirit that we would be able to do the same and to follow in your footsteps, Lord. I pray that you would um, just inspire your people, encourage your people, use your people, have them take risks, Lord God, have them do crazy things, Lord, just to see what you might do when they open their mouth, Lord God, when they reach out to strangers, Lord God. We know that there are many types of evangelism, Lord, one-on-one over years or one minute in a coffee shop, Lord God. We know that you can do so many things in so many different ways, but God, help us to be open. God, help us to be sensitive. Help us to be convicted. Help us to be courageous, Lord God. We want to hear the testimonies, Lord God, of the good fruit that eventually is born from the seeds that we plant here and now, Lord God. I'm so grateful for you people. I'm so grateful for your openness. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Vaughn. Mercy Commons, thank you. A lot of the times of parents, if you have kids in the kids' ministry, uh, if you can rescue them. But Vaughn and Mary are going to be here. And uh, if you would like them to lay hands on you and to pray for just a deeper sense of love and motivation to be able to share this amazing truth, let's do that. For the rest of us, let's go out there and be the church.
Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.